Thank you for everyone who baked cakes and bought cakes and ate cakes. Right. You'll know we're carrying on with our uh, series looking at some of the words of Jesus, some of the things Jesus said. And this morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 5, from verse 1 to 11. But don't worry too much. Um, The words will be on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. We're looking at an account of Jesus going fishing with some friends of his. And you know, it got me thinking about, I used to go fishing as a a young boy. Fishing was part of my childhood. Did anyone else fish when they were younger? One or two? One or two? Sorry? Sticklebacks. (laughs) With little nets. Yeah, that's how I started off. Uh, Put the first slide up. This is this is uh, the little beck that was in the, the place that I grew up, and uh, me and my friends used to go. Oh, me and my friends used to go down there with our nets and a little bucket, and we used to we used to go under. This is probably an awful thing to do nowadays. I don't think I'd let my kids do this. We used to go under the bridge, under there, and kind of walk up the beck and try and catch as many fish as we could, you know, with our little uh, nets and our buckets. And uh, then we moved on. We moved on as we grew up. Uh, we moved to rods. I found this picture at home. This is me and my brother uh, fishing uh, on holiday, I think. Yeah, that's me and my Bermuda shorts. Uh, they were the fashion at the time. Um, I'm the one at the back. Uh, kind of moved on. It looks like I'm probably not catching much there because I look a bit bored. But I think most fishermen look bored, don't they? <laughs> but fishing in the first century was very very different. That's not the kind of fishing we're talking about this morning. Okay, if we go to the next slide, Lizzie. Okay, Uh, that's a bit more like it. Perhaps it was a little bit more like this with the nets. You can see a boat there um, on the river. It's, you know, it's it's maybe dark. It's maybe getting a bit light. It's maybe going dark. And that's when they would want to fish in the deep water, because that was the best time to fish out in the deep water at the dark. Uh, So it's more like that. So don't think little fishing nets and buckets or little rods, big nets, boats. So we're going to read our passage this morning and uh, see what God wants to say to us as we work through it. Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Debedee and Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. Let me just pray for us before we uh, get into what we're looking at this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that your word to us is truth. In fact, you are truth. As we've heard already, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, Lord Jesus, we ask as we look at this passage, we don't just want to study, we don't just want to learn some interesting things, we don't just want to hear some interesting points, but we want to hear you. We want to know you. We want to know true truth by knowing you. And so ask him to speak to us, send the Holy Spirit that he might be amongst us this morning as we read and as we hear, and most importantly as we hear you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So at the end of this trip, this fishing trip, Jesus says the words to his friends, stop being afraid, from now on you'll be catching people. So there's three points I want us to understand, uh, help us to understand these words. True purpose, undeserved grace, and joyful following. So firstly, true purpose. You see, when we hear Jesus' words, from now on, you'll be catching men. And you know he's referring to men and women when he says that. He means women. He means fishing for people, as opposed to fish. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people not fish. You know, it can sound a bit weird, can't it? Does anyone else think it sounds a bit weird? You'll be catching people. It does. It sounds a bit like you'll be doing it against their will. That's how you catch fish, isn't it? I've never met a fish yet that wants to be caught. Um, You'll be tricking people. You know, we used to trick the fish. You'll be tricking people into faith. Maybe it sounds a bit like that. Perhaps if you're not a Christian here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You think, do you know the idea of people wanting to catch you just sounds a bit like weird. I don't want people trying to catch me. But you see, in order to understand these words of Jesus, we need to first see that he's using language that they'll understand. He's a fisherman. They'll understand this language. They'll catch people now. And secondly, what we need to see is that we need to see the bigger picture of what God's plan for men and women is. It's about worship. It's about God calls people to worship him. I'm not just talking simply about singing songs, but rather what we value, what we delight in, what we live for. Worship is the overflow of what's in our hearts. See, we all worship something. Money, success, 
family, football, whatever it might be. These aren't bad things, but when we replace God with those things in our lives, we're worshipping them instead of us, uh, instead of him. And you see, God would not be God if he didn't call us to worship him. To see him as magnificent. And it's not just to make him feel good. God isn't just on some kind of vanity project because he wants everyone to worship him. You know, pop stars and musicians uh, will sometimes perform for various different reasons. Sometimes it's to release some creative thing inside them. Sometimes it can be because they want people to adore them. They want people to respond to them. They want the praise of singing the biggest song for performing the the best music. It's about them. It gives them purpose. But that is not why God calls men and women to worship him. This is what um, a guy called John Hosier, who's a Bible teacher down south, writes, and who's visited us a number of times uh, to help us. Uh, He says this, this is why God wants us to worship him. He says, you know, it sounds like God is self-centred. And, you know, we don't like self-centred people, do we? We kind of go, that's not a good characteristic, self-centredness. But he says this, we need to appreciate that God is God. There's no one more supreme, there's no one more exalted than God. God is the highest good in the universe. Nothing and no one can surpass him, now or forever. Therefore, God must be right to call all worship to himself. See, if God is God, everything finds its purpose in him. So Jesus says to Simon Peter, I'm calling you to be part of my purpose on the earth in seeing men and women come to worship the living God. You know, you've been concerned with fish, he says. From now on, you're going to be concerned with people. See, fish were caught for death. Fish were caught for food. And Jesus would show his disciples how men and women would be caught for life. Because as we've been worshipping and hearing already this morning, do you know, a life with Jesus at the centre of it is true life. This is what it says in John 10. I have come, this is Jesus' words, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jubilee, our purpose is to worship Jesus, to experience true life in him and to display in our words and in our actions the goodness of this God that we've encountered If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been given purpose. You've been given meaning. You might say, well, maybe others have, but not me. You know, others, special people have, but not me. Not me, no, no, others. No, no, you. Look, these were just fishermen. That's what they were, they were just fishermen. You might say, oh, but you don't know my background. Uh, I can't have purpose and meaning. No, 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 you don't know, you know, I haven't even got a job, or you don't know the job I do. God wouldn't give me purpose and meaning in life. You don't know my weaknesses. 
No, no. God, if, you're, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you love Jesus, he has given you purpose and meaning to worship him forever and to display his goodness forever. It's a privilege, isn't it? It's an amazing privilege he's given to you and I. And because it's about people, it's about where you are. It's about your street. It's about your workplace. It's about when you go to the school gates. It's about your family. You know, wherever you find you are, you can show the love of God. Whatever your Monday morning has in store for you tomorrow, you've got purpose, you've got meaning to display the goodness and love of God. So, they were given purpose. The disciples were given purpose. And secondly, they discovered that to follow Jesus was to experience grace more than they could ever understand. So what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus tells them, uh, he tells Peter, got, um, put the boat out into deep water. We're going to go fishing. And you know, Simon Peter's response is probably what any proud fisherman's response would be. It would be the standard response. We've been fishing all night. And we haven't caught even a tiddler. I think we know what we're doing. Hey, we're the professionals. We do this day in, day out. You get back to your teaching and we'll catch the fish. We know how to do it. But they do what he says. And look what happens. A massive catch of fish. So much so that the nets begin to break. See, their wisdom results in no catch. Jesus' wisdom in a gigantic catch of fish. But do you know, Simon, Simon sees more. Simon sees more than this. Simon sees more than the fish. He's suddenly confronted by the grace of God, the undeserved favour of God. You see, he, he, he realises that in this display of power and grace, he's encountering God himself. This wasn't beginner's luck. Jesus' beginner's luck at fishing. I, I, I remember I had a few beginner's luck. People would go, you've only just started fishing. Yeah, and I've caught a few fish. And then it would... Really, I'd get the idea that actually, you know, it wasn't always like that. This wasn't beginner's luck for Jesus. Simon Peter falls to his knees. He realises his sinfulness before Jesus. See, he knew the sin in his life stood between him and this God. But how does Jesus respond? Words of encouragement and a new purpose. And you know, this is how Jesus responds to us today. See, like Simon Peter, do you know, I know I've thought wrong things. I know I've done wrong things. Do you know, I know I've said wrong things. In fact, the Bible says there's something within all of us that wants to rebel against God, that chooses to rebel against God. 
See, sometimes when we compare our lives with others, when we decide to make an evaluation of ourselves against others, it, it's true that sometimes we kind of go, oh, well, I'll evaluate myself against criminals. I'm not as bad as that person in there in the local gazette. Or murderers. I'm not as bad as a murderer. Or I'm not as bad as that weirdo on that reality TV program. Do you know, they are really weird. I'm not as bad as them. And we do relatively well, don't we? And we don't do too bad. But if we measure ourselves to God, if we look at him, we find that we fall way short. See, often we, we ourselves, we hate sin. But do you know God hates it even more? But what's God's response to us? What's his response to our sin? It's not, come on, try harder. Just try harder. Sort out your life. Come on, stop messing up. No. He says, I'll sort it. I'll deal with it. What you can't do, I'll do. And at the cross, we've been thinking about the cross this morning sometimes, at the cross in Christ, God was taking on himself the penalty for our sin and for our rebellion, for your sin, for my sin. See, what stood in the way between us and God, he dealt with. And now we're free. Free to know him, free to love him, free to embrace all he has for us, free to know the purpose he has for us. See, the Christian life is one of grace. Grace that isn't deserved. Grace that is lavishly poured out. Abundantly poured out by God. See, the grace of God is outstanding. That I am welcomed in to the very presence of God. To know the God of the universe. That because of the cross, I am given his righteousness. That's amazing. We just, sometimes we just, we just don't get our heads around it. That this righteousness does not just mean that Jesus sees us as if we never did anything right. But do you know, he sees us as if we did everything, uh, sorry, it's, get my words right here. Jesus, it's not that Jesus sees us as if we just did nothing wrong. But he sees you and I as if we got everything right. That's not what righteousness from God means. So we're good at forgetting it, aren't we? Really good at forgetting it. Really good at not living in it. I don't know if you've seen that program, The Secret Millionaire. Has anyone watched The Secret Millionaire? Anyone like The Secret Millionaire? I think the Big T side a few times. If, if you haven't watched this program, it's basically a documentary where they get um, a rich businessman and they get them pretend to be poor for a week and they go to and they live amongst different charities and different community groups looking for who's deserving of me giving them a cheque for £50,000 or £100,000. And so they pretend and at the end of the programme they say, ha ha, I'm really a millionaire, you deserve the money the most. Here it is, because you've shown some effort, you know, you might not be getting it all right, but here you go, here's the cheque and you use it how you wish. You think, wow. But you know, they've, in one way, they did something to get it. 
you know, grace was undeserved. Totally undeserved. You and I didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to get it. But he lavishly gave it. It's amazing. And when Jesus says, from now on, your focus will be men and women on helping others to come into this life-giving relationship with him, he means that that will be all of grace too. See, like the catch of fish, this new life will rely on his wisdom, on his power. See, perhaps you think, do you know, in order for my friends to become Christians, in order for my family to know Jesus, it's all down to me, it's all down to how I can convince them. Do you know, the wonderful truth is you cannot convince anyone into God's family, and neither can I. It's something God does in them. Perhaps you think, in order for Teesside to be changed, in order for my community to be changed, it's down to the efforts of our church, it's down to the efforts of other churches in Teesside that love Jesus. No, no, it's God. It's God that changes communities. And the wonderful privilege is being involved in that. See, does that mean we just sit back and do nothing? No, no, we find this grace empowers us. This grace changes us. This grace comes to us and gives us life. We're not called to be caused, we're not called to be casual with this grace. See, the disciples would understand that by doing things God's way, they would experience this grace in their daily lives. See, they put down their nets where he said, and look at the results. Maybe you think, do you know, I've I've tried sharing my faith with my friends. I've tried talking to my friends about Jesus, my family about Jesus, but they don't seem to want to make a commitment. Do you know, it's not your job to make them make a commitment or to bring them to faith in Jesus. You're simply to be obedient and to be obedient to his call to keep putting down those nets. See, the Bible is full of encouragements that we can obey God, we can share our faith, we can show the kindness of God in our actions and know that he is working in the lives of people around us. It is. Listen, this is from Romans 1, verse 16. It says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And this is from Revelation 5. We have Revelation this morning. Zoe, did you read from Revelation this morning? Yeah. This is Revelation verse 5. It says this about Jesus. It says this, With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He did it with his blood shed on the cross. And do you know we can add this one too? Master, we've heard... We've worked all night and we haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Listen, God is in the business of drawing men and women to himself. To know him, to love him and to worship him forever. Perhaps you're aware of friends, situations... Family members, do you know, allow the grace of God this morning to remind you it's not your 
job to convince them, ultimately, by your own strength, but you be obedient to his leading. Allow his grace to motivate you. So, true purpose, undeserved grace, and finally, joyful following. See, verse 11 tells us how these disciples respond to Jesus. Do you know, they didn't say this. They didn't say, do you know, Jesus, we prefer not to be uh, interested in people. Actually, we'd like you to keep telling us where to fish. Because it seems to work. You seem to have this idea of where to fish and when to fish. Do you know, we've got two, they didn't say we've got two boatfuls worth of fish now. Let's go and sell them. We could make loads of money. And then we'll come back and do it again. No, it says this. It says they pulled up their boats on shore. They left everything. And they followed him. See, one commentator says this about this account. They left the greatest catch they had seen in all their lives. The greatest catch they'd seen. And they left it. See, they gave up everything. How could they do that? How could they do that? How could they give up everything and follow him? Do you know, they'd seen something greater. They'd seen something greater than fish. In fact, they'd seen someone greater. See, often, often we can like Jesus for what he does in our lives. We can think, you know, Christianity could make my life more comfortable. You know, Jesus could make my life easy. Oh, all my problems would disappear. And, uh, and then... It will be fine. Or we can think, do you know, maybe, maybe I'll try a bit of faith. Maybe it just make life more interesting, actually. Maybe it'll make me feel good on a Sunday. Maybe that's good for me, isn't it? You know, we can be so influenced by our Western culture. And I'm aware not all of us are from a Western culture, but we can. That says we're all customers, we're consumers. We get what we want. It's for us. We're the customers and we take from church what we want. It's a bit like there's a great shop in Stockton. I don't know if anyone else has seen the shop. I love what they've done because they've really tapped into where society is. And the shop is called All About Me. All About Me. And they're saying, you know, life is all about you. No, I'm not knocking the shop. I'm sure it's a great shop. Uh, and they've tapped into something there. And they're saying, you know, that's how people view life now. It's all about me. It's all about what I get from it. And sometimes we can be like that with Jesus. But to follow Jesus is more than what I can simply get from him. See, sometimes it can mean giving up things. See, perhaps there might be things in your life that stop you from following Jesus.
stop you from becoming a Christian. I like being in charge. I like life being all about me. Like that picture that Pauline had of, uh, of her, her little grandson holding on. I like, I like to hold on to what I want to hold on to. I don't want to give this up. I'm holding on to it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And let go of those things you need to let go of. See, how do people make that decision? How do they make that decision to follow him? How did the early Christians make that decision to follow Christ when it meant they could literally lose their lives? How do Christians make that decision to follow Jesus when it means putting him above success, putting him above personal comfort, putting him above all else? How does that happen? How do some of our friends from other nations make a decision to follow Jesus when it means my family have shunned me. They won't talk to me anymore because I'm following Jesus. For some of them, and for some of those nations still, it might mean prison. How do people make that decision to follow Jesus? It's seeing this, that he gave everything for us. He gave everything for us first. At the cross, he gave his very life so we could know him. The greatest sacrifice on earth that has ever and will ever be given was his life on the cross. We sang it this morning. Greater love no one could ever No. See, it means choosing him to be above everything, to be first in our lives, is because he first gave himself. And that causes us to joyfully follow him. See, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here this morning. Maybe you wonder, why would these people choose to follow Jesus over everything else? You know, I knew my friend and... These things used to mean so much to them and they became a Christian and then they weren't as important as following Jesus. Why is that? It's because Jesus laid down his very life for them. And he did for you too. I want us to respond in the last part of this morning. But I believe God wants to impart faith to people that he is drawing men and women into his family. He's drawing men and women to worship him. And you know, he wants to impart faith to you and I that in his grace he uses us. He wants us to lift our gaze to him and see what he's about, what he is up to, and the privilege of, in his grace, using you and I in his plans. I believe that for some here this morning, when they're confronted with who they are, perhaps those things, there's these things that no one knows about, just me. And you know, when I think of God, and when I think, what would God think of me if he knew that? What would God think of my life? Do you know, God, I would, I would be the same as Pete, Simon Peter. I'd say, go away from me. I'm a sinful person. I believe you need to hear this morning the words of Jesus, words of comfort, and words of encouragement and words of purpose. 
He speaks to you this morning. He wants to do the same for you this morning. Because of the cross, you're mine. You belong to me. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. You can make that decision to follow him this morning. You can make that decision to embrace him. Because he first gave everything for you. What I want us to do is I want us to uh, worship and uh, then we're going to bring some direction about how we do that and how we respond this morning. But as we worship, I want us just to focus on Jesus. I want us to put our attention on him. And uh, why don't we stand as we do that. As the band could come up, that would be fantastic. What we're going to do is we're going to take, as we sing this song, we're going to take up our offering as well. This is primarily for people who uh, are part of Jubilee. Um, If you're visiting,